I'm Teffer. And I'm Bailey. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club and you're invited. Yeah! Yeah. We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record and the places where we live are situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we all remember that the lands we occupy are not our own and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the indigenous communities of that area. This week, we are talking about A Song Below Water by Bethany C. Morrow. Uh, This is a book that has been very, very hyped up. We've heard a lot about it. Uh, We were really waiting for it to come out. Very excited to read it. Uh, Bethany Morrow is actually, well, not from Montreal, but lived in Montreal for a while. So there's a certain amount of um, kind of one of our own here since we're in Montreal. Uh, She is also the author of the adult novel Mem and the editor of the young adult anthology Take the Mic. Um, A Song Below Water is her debut young adult novel. I don't usually give a full bio of the author. I don't know why I did that. It's maybe because I'm I'm coming down from having uh, done an interview last week. (laughs) I didn't know that she had lived in Montreal. That's cool. Yeah, so she's one of our own. Um, So if you were going to say anything critical... (laughs) (laughs) then go ahead and say it because this is an unbiased review show I really I enjoyed this book I found this book really enjoyable summer reading I also haven't read uh magical realism in a while I mean I think the last time I read magical realism was the last time we read magical realism on the show because I don't ever read anything that doesn't get reviewed here (laughs) (laughs) that's fair yeah I I definitely found this to be, like, a absolutely, like, fun summer read. Like, it's not going up there with, like, the best written books that we've read on the podcast, but certainly, like, certainly very enjoyable and fun. And so I actually, I, once in a blue moon, read a book that's not for this show. And this one was reminding me a little bit about a book that I read a while ago, which maybe we should read on the show at some point because it's very fun. Um that is like set in modern day but witches are real and and this book this book gave me similar vibes and it's it's a little bit silly um but it's also very fun and also not silly in a lot of ways but yeah i thoroughly enjoyed like the world building and the kind of like melding of like current concerns with like fairy tale elements mm-hmm now I know you had some some issues with the writing um you said I did not I I found this I mean it wasn't a book sometimes I read books that the writing just you know sometimes you read a book and the writing is the Mm -hmm. thing you notice about the book and the writing is just just pulls Mm -hmm. you in and absorbs you um Elizabeth Acevedo is a writer like that I found this one 
Uh, it was it. Uh, the plotting didn't bother me. The writing didn't bother me. I will say that reading magical realism at other times, like reading Isabella Allende, I have found the plotting seems a little weird and confusing. And so, I mean, I would have to give it a read again, like really thinking about that. But to me, it just kind of felt like, yeah, time doesn't work exactly the same way. Uh, that said, I may have not <laughs> given as much attention to it this week because my one-year-old is teething and is horrible right now. Um, so... <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. And when I say the writing, yeah, I definitely mean, like, I just found the plotting kind of, like, sometimes a little bit, like, confusing, the pacing of it. Mm-hmm. But I will also say that I was listening to this book on audiobook, which I find is not the best way to read books most of the time. Um, and that might have contributed <laughs> to me, like, finding the plotting a little bit confusing um, because I was, like, listening to it. Although I will say I really liked the narrators of this audiobook. I thought in general it was a pretty well done audiobook. I think for sure when you're used to reading, uh, like reading books, which I certainly am, adjusting to audiobook can be really hard. And audiobooks are a format I really struggle with because I have already like audio processing issues. Um, mm-hmm. And I can just completely like miss everything in it. Uh, I ended up reading this on ebook, which is not quite as easy for me to focus on as a paper book, but um, easier than an audio book for me. I'm I'm working out my own kind of. I'm one of these people who's figuring out sensory processing stuff uh, as an adult and uh, discovering new things every day. Of like, oh, this is why I had to print out journal articles in college and like print out this giant ream of paper because I could not absorb the reading at all if I read it on my computer. Yeah I wonder if part of it too with audiobook I think I often find sci-fi and fantasy particularly difficult on audiobook because they're often full of like words and terms that you don't know because they're made up and so like when you're reading it in a paper book you can like go back and double check things and like verify stuff and like use that to sort of find your way whereas you can't do that with an audiobook so that might have been why I sometimes found it a little bit like confusing that's a very good point and I think I also have that um more of a trouble with fantasy and sci-fi on ebook and I have never identified that before it's also about like being I find even though this is a world that has devices and has the same technology we have I find it harder to get immersed in the world when I'm when I'm not like in a book but yeah in general like it is it was a very fun book and I I enjoyed it and I think it was very very cool world building so we actually haven't really given anything like a synopsis of this book yet that's true um, because I ended up just talking about Bethany Morrow in a weird twist of something I've never done before. So the song Below Water is, it's about two girls who are sort of chosen adoptive sisters, um, Effie and Tavia, um, and they live in in the current modern world except for mythical creatures of various kinds are real. And so there, there are various different mythical creatures that we meet, but the most sort of salient one is that Tavia um, is a siren. And so sirens, like in, in this world, in this mythology, the, the main power that sirens have is they can um, 
they have sort of vocal magic. So they have these two sort of modes in which they can either compel people to do things with their voice or appeal to people using their voice. So using their voice to be sort of persuasive and attractive. Um, And, but then the sort of the, the very specific thing about sirens in this world is sirens are only black women. Um, Like not all black women are sirens, but the only people who can be sirens are black women. And so it's basically sort of, you get you get the idea in the text that it's part of the reason why they are disliked, distrusted is because of you know people not liking this. You can force me to do things aspect, but it's mostly because of racism and misogyny that people are so anti sirens. Mm-hmm. So most sirens hide, whereas a lot of other mythical creatures are able to be out in the open. This book is often in reviews, the term that comes up is uh, misogynoir, which is the specific kind of um, misogyny that black women experience. And uh, one of that's when you read reviews, it's often uh, very clear that this book is a a, um, metaphorical and also literal take on misogynoir uh, and the specific kinds of oppression that black women face. Um, I've got to say, reading this book, I mean, this book came out in June 2020, which means that Bethany Morrow had finished writing it before uh, 2020 happened in a big way (laughs) um, that that we're all still dealing with. Um, But the fact that this book is set in Portland and the fact that it is um, so much about the, the ways that uh, black people are oppressed and persecuted in our society, especially this week when there are reports emerging that um, Portland has become just a complete fascist hellscape um, since the protests, the Black Lives Matter protests started uh, with people getting snatched off the streets and just masses of arrests and masses of police brutality. Um, it was... I think I, I I was really surprised when you were calling it sort of a light, fun read, because when I thought about it, I was like, it is. It is that. But just reading it and then also reading the Twitter reports and seeing the videos that are coming out of Portland right now, which everybody should look up because everybody should know and the news uh, media is not allowed to report on it. So we're not getting that news because it's a revolution and the mainstream news doesn't want people to know that. It was really, it really made an impact. It's really a timely book. Uh, it's it's a book of the moment. Um, and one of the parallels that I really kept drawing um, mentally was the parallel with black trans women and how black trans women experience violence at a much higher rate than any other population. Um, and I don't know if that was Bethany Morrow's intent in writing this book, if she was, I mean, I'm sure she must have been mindful of that at some point, because we all are. Um, but I really felt that, uh, that narrative influencing um, the story very strongly. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that when I was reading it, but I can really see that. Like, there's a very, you can see that really strongly in the, so there's, at the, the beginning of the book, although it carries through, there's there is a woman who has been who has been murdered, and it, this happened a, a black woman who has been murdered, and her her tr- the trial of 
of the person who killed her is coming up. And then shortly before that, there are rumors leaked that, um, that she was a siren. Um, and there's really like powerful reflections that the main character is having where everyone else is like, Oh, like, do you think she was a siren or not? Like, and it's all revolving around that. And, um, the main character is very like, it shouldn't, this should be irrelevant whether or not she was like the quest. She's not the one who's on trial, but mm-hmm. it's, it's really powerful how it sort of shows that the, as, as soon as it just gets totally flipped to, to the victim being on trial because they think she might have, have been this identity. That's very powerfully where the, analogy to black trans women comes in for me because so many trans women are uh, beaten and murdered because they are trans because men find out they are trans and very often the defense for those men is it's not their fault because she is trans and that is you know a punishable offense and the fact that she didn't disclose that she was trans from the beginning is somehow this horrible failing that justifies a man to kill her um and of course we also see that right now with the the discourse around trans women being a threat to cis women which is bullshit but really this idea that you may be a woman but you're the wrong kind of woman and the kind of woman you are is threatening to both men and women and therefore you don't um get human rights um and i think that was really really powerful especially because sirens are singled out there are other kinds of magical um beings and people in this universe and sirens are the only ones who are persecuted um Mm -hmm. and it does uh uh uh, correct me if i'm wrong on this but there are men who are sirens as well correct i don't i think it's just i think it's only women okay but it was passed through her father so it's like a gene that men can carry yeah so it's like that that's why i'm pretty i'm pretty sure that it is mentioned that it is just black women but i think that's part of like her father's not a siren because he's a man but his daughter is a siren Mm -hmm. because he like carries that from his mother so yeah it's a like matrilineal no that's not i'm 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 going into i'm going into genetics now which i that's not helpful Uh. (laughs) it's an it's an x chromosome it's an xx chromosome linked (laughs) yeah there's not see see that's what the genetics doesn't quite work but that's okay because this is a fantasy okay so fantasy time let's let's engage this fantasy for a minute do you think if there was a a trans girl who was a siren that would be like one of the affirming factors to prove that she is a girl Ooh, that would be really that would be really cool because now i want to write some fanfic that would be really really fun and there's definitely like the ending of this book leaves us with hope that like sirens might be able to live out and and in the world so yes i i love that the more i think about this the more i'm like it's so clearly a trans women metaphor but i'm this is one of those lovely things where books mean different things to different people and Mm -hmm. uh, that's nice I like that okay but the cover art oh the cover art is gorgeous I have the book in front Um, of me right now it actually just arrived today so I read it on ebook but I ordered uh, a copy as well and um, it's just I love the era of cover art we are in right now so it's much really good so much it's such an improvement on when we were in high school this illustration is stunning it is so so beautiful mm-hmm. um it's by I it's think- art by alex cabal who uh yeah 
well done and i also feel like the woman um on the left who i'm actually i guess that would be i can't remember i can't distinguish their names to myself right now um, let me let me look at it um the siren is tavia yeah so i, I was gonna say tavia but i feel like t- tavia kind of looks like nick stone in her profile mm. in this illustration which is okay funny. i want to i just need to look at the cover <laughs> And now I want to see um, Nick Stone as, like, a powerful mermaid. It might just be because oh. I associate Nick Stone with, like, I don't know, mermaid. Did she do, like, a mermaid shoot recently? I don't know. She's just so beautiful. Anyway. She does a lot of, like, fun-colored hair and, yeah. like, fun lipstick and also is just, like, beautiful and magical. Um, and we <laughs> love her. Anyway. This is, this is a Nick Stone fan podcast. Um, <laughs> No, that's the spinoff we're going to start, where we're just like, why did Nick Stone post on Instagram? (laughs) Absolutely not. That is creepy, and we're not going to do that. Um, But anyway. Yeah, no, Tavia is on the left, and and Effie is on the right. Yeah, yeah, I can see see that a little bit. And it's beautiful. Um, It is gorgeous cover art. I think that this book would make a very good movie. Remember all those like early two thousands mermaids movies? Oh yeah, it's time to bring but that back. But this time they could actually do it well. Yes, I think actually, I mean, just looking at this cover art, I think it would make a very cool animated movie. I really like the relationship. So okay, fun. A note aside, it's fun that you listen to the audiobook because I was definitely saying Tavia in my head. Oh, um, it's it's ta- on the on the audiobook they pronounce it. Tavia, oh, is it short yeah. for Octavia? I believe so, yes. Like I said, but they my, call her that so rarely. My attention to detail in this book was shot this week because of my aforementioned horrible toddler. Um, I really, <laughs> really appreciated Tavia and uh, Effie's relationship. I really appreciated that they're chosen family, um, but but absolutely sisters. I really appreciated their loyalty to one another and their love for one another, but also how they clearly have distinct lives and their own their own stuff going on things they don't tell each other but they're also just absolutely there for each other always yeah i think their their relationship is just so well done and it's so like healthy and wonderful and really 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 good uh yeah i i really like their friendship so much speaking of our relationships can we talk about parents in this book there are so many parents parents parents, like parents and parental figures Mm mm-hmm because um, I'm counting Effie's grandparents in oh, this category. Yes, uh, absolutely, as you should. I think that this this book is just such a good study in like trying to protect your kids by not giving them all the information and by like trying to like control, like trying to protect your kids by controlling what they do rather than by empowering them to make the best choices mm-hmm. always turns out badly because mm-hmm. we get we get sort of two studies we get um we get tavia's dad and then also effie's grandmother who are both trying to protect their kids but doing it by not giving them all the information uh keeping things from them trying to control what they do rather than like helping them make the best choices like trying to make choices for them instead of helping them make good choices mm-hmm. um and we see all of that just lead to worse and worse outcomes but then we also like i think it's a really good because it also we do 
we do ultimately see how these parents are coming from a really loving stance, but how like their fear turns them into really bad parents. Mm-hmm. And it's just like a really nuanced and interesting look at that, I think. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. And yeah, I think it's just like such a good study and like, which is something like I really believe in with like kids and teenagers is that like they're smart and like it's never it's never the best call to like try and protect them from hard things by keeping information from them but like figure out how to give them the information in an appropriate way and like empower them to make good choices and help them make good choices but Mm -hmm. don't try to make the choices for them because you're always I mean a of all you're going to make them not trust you but you're also you're not going to be working with the full information that they have trying to make choices for them and it just it's not going to end well that's an exploration around parenting that I find is always really powerful when we're talking about fantasy books because the protagonists always have like special powers that like put them in much more danger for one reason or another and so that that dynamic is always amplified um in a fantasy or magical realism novel and uh i i think it's just a really it's a really good genre to explore that dynamic um and it's done very well yeah yeah it's true it definitely like sets it it sets a good stage for for that kind of exploration now, the other uh, relationship I really appreciate in this book, actually, is the relationship with Naima, who is a little okay. bit of an antagonist uh, in the book. She's she's a little bit of a mean girl. Um, I would say she's more than a little bit of an antagonist <laughs> and a mean girl. She is um, the antagonist and the mean girl. <laughs> but I, I really appreciate the way it, uh, she's written, because I feel that even when she's being an antagonist and a mean girl, I do very much feel that there is an um, there's a sensitivity, there's a compassion in the way that she's written, um, and I do like absolutely remember that she is a teenager, even when she's being mean and bad, <laughs> um, and I think that's something that's that's hard to do. You sound like you're 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 disagreeing with this. I'm thinking through it. Yeah. I'm so this is this is probably off air. I'm thinking about information that you don't have. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can spoil that if you want. Um, go ahead on air again. Yeah, I'm just I'm thinking about whether or not that is complicated by Mima's role in like the climax of everything like I feel like she starts out more sort of like ambivalent and sympathetic and Mm -hmm. then becomes more straightforwardly the bad yes yeah fair enough I I think when I say that I'm think I am thinking primarily of the first two-thirds of the book rather than the the end but I do I think there there is I think there's a lot of complexity built into a lot of characters, which which I think is is good. Mm-hmm. And I mean, ultimately, like I think this this book really also interacts with like the way, like the way oppression makes makes it hard for people to make good choices. Yeah, um, yeah, a hundred percent. And like, I definitely think part of part of what makes part of what makes Naima interesting and and sympathetic as well is 
so Naima is part of um oh now I'm forgetting what it's called, but there's like a group uh, and the network. I think I'm, I'm talking about oh, the network. Um, yeah, okay. About Tavia's network, yeah. So Tavia is part has what's called a network, which is basically people who know that she's a siren and their job is to protect her. And so you get the idea that there's a lot of people in this network. But the ones who she's directly in contact with are a few of her peers at school. Um, and so you kind of get at least, you don't fully get Naima's backstory, but my interpretation of it is that her parents were in the network way back when the network was for um, Tavia's grandmother. And then they kind of, she doesn't have a lot of choice about being part of this. Um and and you get the idea so Naima is also a black girl and you get the idea that she is scared about at least I think you get the idea that she's scared about the proximity the danger that being in a proximity to a siren will put her in and, and I think you get a little bit of she's just not someone who's really interested in risking her skin for somebody else but I think you you do very much have that that complexity of um she's not in the same disprivileged, vulnerable position that Tavia is in, but she's still in quite a disprivileged, vulnerable position. And she's scared about putting herself in more of one, and she she wants to distance herself from that as much as possible and doesn't really feel like she has a choice. So she is very much a complex character. Yeah, I think I, you, you've just put it, like, a, much better than I did, I think. Um, there, There is... A complexity. There are things that have been put on her generationally. There are things that have been put on her culturally, and it it certainly doesn't excuse her behavior. But she's well thought out. She is not your kind of typical uh, mean girl who just exists to make um, Tavia and and uh, Effie's life lives difficult for reasons of jealousy or whatever. She has much more complex and deep reasoning um behind her actions now i'm thinking just more about her and i think she's really really interesting from that because there's the other element which teffer just brought up is that um Nema is in a loco which is another kind of mythical creature that exists in this world but in contrast to sirens um locos are not feared they're not reviled they are like seen as this really great thing mm-hmm. um and from what I understand, being in a loco is not genetic, and there's, like, things that parents can do to, like, increase their chances of having an Aloko kid, and they, like, actively do this, mm-hmm. because it's seen as a very desirable thing, and so I, I feel like we also have something with Naima's character in that, like, so Naima is a black woman, so somebody who experiences a lot of systemic oppression and disprivilege, but she also holds this very privileged identity and I think you see her being someone who's really trying to align herself as much as possible with the privileged identity and not the disprivileged one, which like obviously makes sense just in the way that the world works. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a really interesting and complex part of her character. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, uh, that's the real strength in this book, I think, in terms of writing is the character development. These are very fleshed out thought out characters and they I just I think one of the things I just loved about this book is just seeing these very thorough fleshed out thought out characters interact with each other yeah absolutely 
Mm-hmm. I also want to talk about the protest scene briefly because I just that definitely yeah I did say I was like this is like a light fun summer read and parts of it are very light fun summer read yes um, absolutely <laughs> and then there are also parts that it's like yeah this was written like a, at least a year ago probably two or at least conceived of um but it feels like it could have been written like last month yeah. or two months ago because it's very very relevant and so they go um the characters at one point go to a protest um pro- protesting the murder by police of a black man and i mean it, it's really well done and really smart in a lot of ways but um there's just this really cutting scene um where it's so it's Tavia and Essie at this protest but also with some of their um non-black classmates and Tavia and Effie have had to like sneak out to go to this protest because their parents are afraid of them going mm-hmm. um and the other but the other girls parents like drive them there and have like packed them snacks and stuff and like protest kits um and Tavia just sort of has this realization that like this is like an IB extra credit activity for the non-black kids. It it was just a really good scene. The interactions with their non-black classmates and sort of explorations of allyship versus performative allyship, like productive allyship versus performative allyship is a a very interesting and thoughtful thread in the book that that certainly uh, gave me a lot to consider as a non-black person who strives to do allyship yeah yeah absolutely and like we're always gonna mess up but it is really it is really helpful and also sometimes like confronting to read these these narratives and I think that's important that we be confronted Mm -hmm. so one of the other things that's really like cool and fun about this book and just sort of like the way it's set up um is it so Tavia is a siren um but Effie plays a mermaid at the Ren Fair. Uh, so it's this very fun sort of, um, just sort of like different angles on, on mermaid stuff, basically. Um, and even though this is, it's, I feel like it's weird to say like a book is really visually rich because it's a book. No, it's very visually rich. It's very, it's just, like, very fun, and you get to, like, picture all of Effie's very fun costumes. Uh, yeah, I think, Effie, we haven't talked a ton about Effie as a character, but Effie is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Effie is a character who's, like, had some pretty traumatic experiences. I, I just really love how, how we see, sort of, like, her acting and her swimming as, like, how she copes in a really, like, productive way with with her with her trauma with her anxiety um i want yes i want to go back real quick to what you were saying about calling books visually rich and just tell a cute anecdote which i think tells a lot about uh books being visually rich which is i'm reading farmer boy to my six-year-old right now and um it makes her hungry every time because farmer boy is so full of food uh but we're reading a part where they get dressed to go to church and it describes everybody's clothes and like the horses and everything really beautifully and she sighs and goes this is so beautiful for my eyes and then pauses and goes 
it's beautiful for my ears. I don't see it. And then just like was like, it's just so beautiful. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I get that. Like books can be really beautiful. I think books can be visually rich. But you were talking about the backgrounds of trauma, which are very strong. And they actually both sisters have have backgrounds of trauma. Um, Very different kinds of trauma, Um, which I really appreciate the exploration of the two different kinds of background, the two different traumas, one being a very sort of private internal one and one being very public. Um, And, you know, uh, Effie really can't can't get away from that. Um, And so she escapes into the world of the Ren Fair, but she gets a totally different identity. I also, so this made me remember another thing, which is I think that this book has a really um, cool sort of intersection and thread um, with disability stuff, which is, which is interesting or not, but more a thread about accessibility. Um, So one of, one of the things, I think one of the things that bonds Tavia and Effie um, and it's sort of a part of both of their characters is that they both um, are fluent in ASL and they often use it to communicate. Um, and so you you get the sort of backstory that um, Effie learned ASL as part of her mermaid character so that she could speak underwater. Um, and Tavia um, sometimes like a thing happens with with her being a siren where like she, can't speak without accidentally doing a siren call so sometimes she just can't speak um and so she so she will sign when that happens and she has sort of she has adopted um she's like found a diagnosis that like fits that presentation and so says that that's what she has Mm -hmm. um in order to sort of allow her to exist in the world and i think it's just really I found it to be really cool and a really like interesting portrayal of how like the world being more accessible and like different accessibility tools that are designed with disabled folks in mind mm-hmm. can make the world easier to navigate and more accessible for everyone or or at least not just for the people who they were designed to serve. Um, and I thought that that was really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Man, there's so many details. It's 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 really hard to get to everything um, because mm-hmm. this book is, is very rich in detail. Mm-hmm. I love the gargoyle. I love that gargoyles yeah, exist in this world and everybody is just like, we don't really know what's up with gargoyles. <laughs> like everybody's just kind of like, it's kind of weird that gargoyles ex- exist, but we all kind of just accept it. And like He's, gargoyles not being statues on roofs, but like gargoyles as creatures, a la the animated Hercules. He's really charming and fun. Um, and I also love how, and so I'm trying to like figure out what the there's definitely something deeper there. But like how, for most of the book, you definitely their family has just stopped, but you see the world at large just sort of like seeing them kind of on level with like a bird that perches on your house. Um, like not like not but, fully but, like sentient, um, but sort of like animal level in terms of cognition and stuff. And then you learn later that he, you know, is fully complex, capable of like speech yeah. and complex human relationship. 
and it's cool how it's like, oh, nobody has thought to try to converse with him mm-hmm. that and just have assumed and and that that is interesting too yeah absolutely the the gargoyle storyline is great man we're we're at the end of our time so much about this book is really rich and and i would say sort of with some little maybe maybe issues with plot development aside um it's absolutely worth reading Oh yeah, hundred percent. No, absolutely, very much recommend. It's, very highly it's, recommend. It's a really fun book. Yeah, yeah, and like fun and also like I keep I keep calling it fun, which isn't like fun and also important and good and yeah. I mean, um, this is this is a book to read right now. Yeah, like don't wait. Get your hands on a copy of it. There's a reason it is it is blowing up. It is so timely. Read it right now. Uh, do your research and learn about what's going on in Portland. You can follow me on Twitter because I'm retweeting that shit. But like, um, just it's 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 so timely. It's so good. Uh, and you should read it. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yapodcast and individually at tefferbear and at thebalesosaurus. A quick note before I go into all of the Patreon stuff. We are coming up on our 100th episode. Um, This is 96, so we're coming up on our our 100th episode very soon. We're also at our second anniversary of having a Patreon. And to show our appreciation for our Patreon community, we're going to be running some special events, some special offers. So uh, watch that space. That's patreon.com slash yapodcast. You can support us on Patreon to, to keep us going to pair editor Uh, to help us buy bucks, to help us maybe pay hosting fees one day. Um, You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shout-outs, guest appearances. You get the schedule of the readings well in advance, um, and more, including the special offers that will be showing up soon. Uh, So head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shout-out to our patrons, Catherine Reshi, Erica Stitchberry, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, and Chantal Thomas. We love you guys. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tea Public. You can also always support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, by subscribing to us on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. A friend who likes mermaids, a friend who likes Renfair, a friend who's just looking for something good to read this summer. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by Tefer Ajemian, that's me, and edited by Tom Zalatni as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. I'm Tom Zalatni, host and producer of Up for Discussion, the emotionally honest comedy podcast. What does that mean? It means we're not afraid to get vulnerable, explore the human side of comedy, and be super duper open about the ways that we're struggling to become better people along the way. Still have no idea what I'm talking about? Fair enough. Come give us a listen. The Up for Discussion podcast, available on the Upford Network and wherever else you get your podcasts. If you're someone who interacts with kids, you're probably familiar with moments of being asked questions you're just not equipped to answer. Whether it's the old favorite, where do babies come from, or the nuances of discrimination, Rad Child Podcast has your back. 
Each episode, your host, Seth Day, leads a discussion about topics like race, disability, loss, gender, sexuality, and so much more. Our goal is to give grown-ups the tools to talk to kids about almost anything. So come give a listen. Rad Child Podcast, helping to raise a generation of open, compassionate, rad kids. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else.